Rodrigo did the first BYB session for BYB6 at oh, wow. 4 a.m. this morning, your time. <laughs> the idea of showing up to a class to be like, okay, this is my class learning how like, to, to better myself and become like the strongest person I can be. And having the teacher be like, hi, I'm teaching you how to become complete like me. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Should we begin just because we have... Uh, okay. Yeah, we have a little bit of a shorter day today, but you know what? I think that that's going to be fine because we're going to talk about canyons today. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably said, do a geography episode, but without the biotypes part. Just like, speak about canyons. Just rock let's formations, do, different let's types. Let's do a little two-parter right here because I know people really have been uh, clamoring for some biotype information regarding breakups. And I think it'll be a fun little refresh about how people get together. In the, is this like too heavy of a thing to talk to you about? Like... Three in the morning. Yeah, Rose is in Spain bit. right now and looks like he's about to not Look, off. for you guys, it's daytime in your windows. For me, it's really dark outside. Oh, I love nighttime. I do. I woke up when it was dark out today. I've been doing morning breath work. Um, I, you know, I here, applaud here's you. what we could talk about because this is, this is <laughs> at least just to get in with a little pop culture stuff. I've been very curious about the cast of Jackass and their biotypes. And, <laughs> and how, what makes a Jackass? How, what what ma- yeah. brings you to that? Yes, Jackass Forever comes out basically tonight. And why, why do they do what they do? I mean, they're gods and we love them. But what makes you do that? What, what is their mom and dad situation? What's okay, going so on? I guess this is the breakup episode. <laughs> please not another one direction episode please. no 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 jackass no, no, the no. this is not direction. this is not going to be one direction however um it may be the chumbawamba episode what wait what is this a thing we do now what happened i don't know <laughs> Brian obviously didn't get the memo. I, yeah, it looks like an inside joke I was not prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always ready. I'm just always ready. You're always Whatever, ready. I mean, do you yes, need standard. prep to hear I get knocked down, but I get up again? I feel like yes. that just incites something. <laughs> Dude, no, it's, it's, it's our uh, theme of our generation. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to choose We that only one. started getting knocked down in our 30s, and we're like, what? This happens? I feel like the, the our generation <laughs> was very protected I, throughout I, the 90s. And I just then, heard. Yeah. I think it, Russ thinks that everybody in his generation is like him. Yes. Uh, I just heard a quote that I've never heard before, which I like, which is, everyone lives their 30s like their 20s until the injury, which is like <laughs> such a... <laughs> That is so very true. That is so very true. Like I take that very personally, but it's so true. I That's like funny. my my dad always says that thirties are the, the age of the never never. Like I, this had never hurt before. This had yes. never happened to me. I could always do this. This is very new. Yes, I lived my twenties like my forties, longing for my thirties. 
What does that mean? <laughs> what kind of like weird labyrinth in your head did you create? Like when I was in my twenties, I was like, "Let's be careful and responsible." I can't wait till I'm thirty. You know, I live my twenties and twenties for sure. You've lived. I lived my like your twenties too. Dude. I lived yes, my twenties like it was the last decade of my life, and I had nothing to lose. I think a lot of people were surprised that it wasn't. With the way that you drove. <laughs> Sonny said, mine was 26 when Denise told me everything that was wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Especially being a sanguine, you grow up with people telling you things like, you're so strong. I've never seen someone be able to do that. And relying on your physical strength and your body in a ridiculous way. And instead of getting old little by little, it's like that injury that Brian was talking about. And then you go like, oh, I'm old, like now. Uh Uh-oh, it's now. You don't bounce back as quickly. It's like, oh, like I used to sprain my ankle and be over in a week, but like I'm still limping and it happened like six months ago. Yes. I I literally just went through that. (laughs) I was talking to a mutual friend of ours and they were telling me like how when they they sit weirdly, their ankle pops out of place. It's fun, like, complaining to an older, like, to my parents. Be like, hey, my, like, my hip kind of does this when I walk. They're like, hey, yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want? What did you expect? Yeah. <laughs> well, Elizabeth asked at my job, sprain yes. their ankle getting out of a truck. And now he just walks different. <laughs> Dude, the other day I was playing soccer with the kids in, in my complex. And I... I I guess I sprung my ankle too. Like my whole foot went like eh, with all of my weight. I tried to step on the ball in the way I usually do when I'm playing soccer. And instead of just my body holding there where it's supposed to, it just kept moving. And then my foot just rolled off the ball. And then all of my weight just fell on my ankle. This was like eight months ago. I can still feel it in the mornings. I I did a pratfall at a Christmas party to show Ross my cool pratfalls, and I fucking, I knocked over a giant fucking cabinet that fell on my ankle. Two men had to pick it up, and it still hurts, by the way. Like, hold on. This, this was the best because it was a series of pratfalls. Yeah, I was just, I, there was no reason, right? I was just showing him. So you, you know, <laughs> Brian engages in pratfalls the way a sommelier engages with wine. Mm. They're like, Oh, well, we could, would you like a dryer or more fruity? <laughs> Brian's like, would you like a marionette flopping or would you rather see an animal falling <laughs> to its knees? So this was, um, I, I don't know which one this one, but his foot kicked out and it's not laid. Yeah. But what was amazing about this? And I don't know if this is about the craftsmanship of the table, but all four, le- he kicked one leg, all four of them fell off. And then collapsed onto Brian's ankle. And we're like, well, this is not good. And it had like a a receiver and a thousand records on this thing. So (laughs) it was someone's record cabinet with like their their vinyl player on top of it. Um, And Brian very calmly goes, "Um, I picked this up, but I'm kind of trapped. And I didn't realize that it had pinned his ankle down on top of it. But I don't know if I've ever complimented you on how you handled that because that was my nightmare. If I were to do that to anyone's anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just kind of left. Whose well, cabinet was no, it? But you, my it, roommate, Matt's. So I owe him yeah. a new record player. It's, uh, it cost Whoa. me that pratfall. But. <laughs> but there was no anger. There was no 
over-apologeticness or self-beat up. You're just like, I've got it. Like, I, I, I did this. I will cover it. Just complete ownership and responsibility. And the night continued. It was maybe yeah, yeah. like a 10-minute hiccup. Hey, we got to get back to running flip cup charades. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my ankle's so okay. Confused. What the hell is happening to this episode? There it is. There's the catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get on to some, something. Let's okay. Let's talk about something worthwhile. Ro, do you, do you feel like you have the, the mental... For, for listeners, if you're joining us, Rodrigo's in Spain right now and on a very different time zone than we are. So for yes, his I brain am. capacity, we, we have a couple options. Would you like to talk about breakups? We can talk about breakups, but the whole episode, I will speak with this very thick Spanish accent. Hmm. Uh, is that Spanish? Good. Yes. <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said Spanish. Uh, because I didn't want to guess. But... Uh, Let's let's do uh, let's do a breakup episode. So, like, I think we could start, and I'll I'll do some of the heavy lifting at the beginning just to kind of recap about how people get into relationships in the first place, and and then I think Brian and I could just kind of coast and ask you questions to trigger the good stuff of your brain, and you just go stream of consciousness. Does that work for you? We can talk a little bit also about why like certain people are attracted to each other that you were describing, and then just play that off to why they usually break up and what's the problem with that combination. I think that's a great idea. And then that's, also, I met you. You talked about a breakup of mine. That's how you literally showed me yeah. biotypes, and it was amazing. Oh, that was such a freaking great uh, introduction. That was on that was on Megan's podcast. That was on Just a Tip. That's right. Um, which, yeah, we do. We would love to have Megan back. We love our conversations with Megan. We do. Um, so she's the godmother about, of this podcast. She is. I like that that phrase. She's the comadre of this podcast. Not that. comadre, it's it's the madrina. Oh, well then I'm learning terms different. Comadre is how you would call the godmother of your kid in Spanish. She is your comadre. Oh, okay. So she's the the. I don't want to get into the semantics of this. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about like, oh, you're in a relationship, and your question is, oh, I don't want to be in this anymore, or is it time for me to break up? Um, or I'm going through a breakup. How do I find inner peace about this and move on? So let's let's start about what brought you into that relationship in the first place, which brings us to the three levels of relationship. Uh, I did not have my sound cue ready. The three levels of relationship. Okay, so the three levels. Wait, are of we a fucking morning fucking radio show now? What's going no, on? No, that's ridiculous. They like morning radio shows have like weird sound effects, like dogs riding tricycles or something like that. How do you know that's a dog? Oh, that's a dog. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a tricycle. You can very clearly hear the, th- the third wheel. The third wheel, right, right. Yeah. I'm really hoping people enjoy this as much as I am. Yeah, I, I think they will. Yeah, pure chaos, says Jess. <laughs> All right, so what brought you into the relationship? We talk about this in, in, in the workshop, Falling in Love. If you have not taken that yet, I highly recommend it. Eventually, that will be available everywhere on your time zone. Um, yes, Let's talk about it. So three levels of falling in love. First level is obviously biology. It's the classic, oh, that person's hot. You, he already <laughs> has his finger up. You, want, you got something to say on it already? I'm, I'm ready to explain the three levels. Okay, I'll jump in. Let's go. Let's hear it right from the horse's mouth. 
I love it. Well, after years of working with couples and working with people in general and training people into human relationships and emotional intelligence, uh, I developed a theory about why people fall in love with each other. Uh, what Ross was describing is the first level of relationships. And, and when we say the first, we mean the lowest level. And, and it's purely biological. How we fall in love with each other on the first degree is purely biological. And it has to do with access relationships. If you've taken the intro to biotypes, and if you haven't, you should, but if you've taken the intro to biotypes, uh, people that share an axis in the Unani grid, uh, in the Unani chart, uh, fall in love with each other because it seems like we are perfectly complemented by people from our absolute opposite genetical structure, biological structure. So it was extremely easy for sanguins to fall in love with melancholics because melancholics think and sanguins do. So they fell in love because they seemed like a perfect complement for each other. And then on the other side, we had the other axis, which is cholerics and phlegmatics. And cholerics are impulsive. They, they create and phlegmatics are emotional and they become a beautiful space for other people. And that's how they fell in love with each other too. You know, this, this is, is interesting yeah. because you're like, like uh, cholerics are impulsive and they create. And I was thinking phlegmatics are emotional and they heal. Yeah, like like that, that like cholerics go out and get banged up and pretend like everything's fine and phlegmatics are there to actually make everything fine again. When they created that phrase that I know it sounds really sexist in today's world, but when they created that phrase of behind every great man, there's a great woman. I believe that that applies to great women, too. But behind when, every great when, woman, there's a great woman. No, behind every great woman, there's a great man. Yeah. But, or a great woman if they're gay. Stop getting me in trouble. But, but what I mean is when they created that phrase, I am sure that they were thinking of a choleric man with a phlegmatic wife. Because that like that guy cannot go on and keep on pushing the way a choleric wants to push if they don't have a safe, uh, like a safe, soft place to fall, uh, like which is what a phlegmatic would create as a family or as a community. That's the only way in which a choleric can keep on going. And that what that's the reason why if I ask you for the typical stereotypical relationship in Northern Europe and the UK and Scandinavia and, and, and Germany, you'll probably describe a choleric guy and a phlegmatic woman in the same way that if I ask you to describe the typical Italian relationship or the typical Spanish relationship in Southern Spain, you'll, you'll probably describe a sanguine guy and a melancholic woman. And these relationships lasted forever. Like for thousands of years, people just fell in love with their opposite biotype and it worked until the beautiful worship of personality started and things got very complicated for therapists like me. So that's the, the lowest level, level one. The, the way I describe level one without biotypes is you're either a skeleton or a pillow and skeletons love pillows. Pillows love skeletons. Two pillows can make it work and two skeletons will never work. That's how I describe it. What? <laughs> I love that. I love that bit. I no, think where do you get that from? That's just what I it is. I want to see that movie. <laughs> that movie? Yeah, Brian, when are your movies coming out? Uh, the Skeleton Pillow film? I think uh, it's called The August Skeleton 2022. Pillow. <laughs> the Skeleton Pillow? 
sequel to the skeleton. Crew. I just think cholerics and melancholics are mostly skeletons, and phlegmatics and sanguines are mostly pillows. And that's how. Did you uh, just call me a pillow? Yes, yes. absolutely. Oh yeah, you, you two freaking are both skeleton. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if, if we were to all stand next to each other and they're like, which ones are skeletons and which ones are pillows, no one would get that wrong. <laughs> there wouldn't be. You a mean wrong because answer. everybody will call us skeletons, all three of us. Uh, I mean, some pillows try to be skeletons, but you're, you're a secret pillow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fake skeleton. You're a fake skeleton. <laughs> a lot of people try to be fake skeletons in our society, and they shouldn't. So breakups at that lowest level often, I'd say breakups at, that, at the lowest level are pretty easy to move on from. Because it's just like, ah, oh, they're really hot, but I'm just, there's just not enough here that's working for me to keep this going. Well, the first thing we need to define about that is the way people fall in love when it's a biological connection is completely unreasonable. And it feels like a gut pull, like everything in your gut is being pulled in the direction of this human being, thinking that they're the most special person that you've ever met. They're the truth. You have like a ridiculous sexual attraction towards them. You feel like they compliment you in the best way possible. They're your better half, your other half, your, your half orange, as we say in Spanish. And the problem is that a hundred years ago, this used to work. It, it used to work beautifully. People never broke up because of our understanding of relationships and because personality didn't get in the way. Never. And, I want to clarify, never is hyperbolic. Some don't go after our <laughs> words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when Rodrigo says never, always, yeah, don't yeah. believe it. Uh, what he says, <laughs> never, always, horrible, the worst. It's it's a hyperbolic form of Everyone, nobody. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yes. Just remember that, the, that there is a saying when behind this Words. Yeah, <laughs> and we're very dramatic, and we tend to exaggerate, exaggerate always and forever. <laughs> so, like, it was rare for personalities to get in the way and 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 create a problem before. That's why when we think of our grandparents and our great grandparents, the way we understood relationships were like was like this was forever, and you weren't trying to change your partner. And when you weren't trying to change your partner, which is how relationships used to work before, being different was extremely good. It created yeah, a very like successful a relationship. Acceptance or resignation of this is life and I'm not getting out of it. it yeah. It's like before the whole the dreamer came to be of, you know, I could get be I could do better than this. Like so many people stayed in those relationships and either found happiness outside of it elsewhere. Uh, or just, you know, accepted their miserable life. Like that was just the 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 way of life. Yeah. For the and, most I, part. and I can, and it was socially seen as a problem if you had had a prior relationship that you not, that you didn't make work or that you split from. Uh, like to give you an example, my Spanish grandparents, when my grandfather died, we figured out that he was a widower before he met my, my grandmother. Mm. Nobody freaking knew. Nobody knew. He never told anyone because he, he would have been seen as someone that had already been in a relationship where something horrible happened. So he hid it from his wife and his children all of his life. Wow. Especially while being a sanguine man, I, I could not save that information. Yeah, you couldn't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So hold but on, the, I just had thing, to add this. Brenna says, are phlegmatics waterbeds? <laughs> Back to the pillow skeleton <laughs> conversation. And I love that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Are right, sanguines muscle beds? Yeah. Uh, sanguines are our um, Tempur-Pedic mattresses. Oh, that works. I love them. Memory foam. 
Yeah, it's very kind. It's <laughs> Brian's very kind like, they're, they're pillows. Things. Everyone's pillows are skeletons. <laughs> they're big lumpy pillows. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie says Brian we're just is... bags of soil. <laughs> <laughs> we, we kind of move like one. That works. Yeah. Okay, so I've been paying really close attention here in Spain in all the government offices that I go to. It's amazing how the main biotype of women in Spain is melancholic. Amazing. And at the same time, the second biotype in women in Spain is sanguines by far. Mm -hmm. Like the amount of sanguine women over here, Brian, you would lose it. I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's kidding, but Brian only travels with 24 hours notice. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and to strangers' houses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so yeah. lowest level, we talk about like what that breakup would look like. The problem today is that, like we we explain how those relationships, how those access relationships, based on level one falling in love, uh, on on the first degree of falling in love, usually work, and how they stayed together forever. The big problem with this is that people in today's world uh, world are, are still extremely att attracted to their opposites biologically. So sanguines will always find melancholics extremely interesting and attractive. Melancholics will do the same with sanguines uh, as they get to know them, because at the beginning we don't like they don't like us that much, uh, and it's the same with cholerics and phlegmatics. The problem is that now that that we don't stay together, and now that we want to change other people to see the world and act in the world a little bit closer to who we are. What usually ends up happening is that, as I've explained in the past, you break up the relationship by going stronger into your polarity, by, by becoming more like your biotype and less than someone who's balanced. So I feel like the most challenging thing for people is that as a sanguine who dates a melancholic, I will end up destroying that relationship in the most sanguine way and walking away from it in the most sanguine way, being more reckless, being more risk-taking, feeling like I was trapped for a while and I need to run free through the world for a while. And that means walking back in my evolution as a sanguine man. And usually the same thing happens to the melancholic because the melancholic will feel like they took way too many risks. They trusted way too many things. This person was extremely reckless. This felt like life was out of control and they'll just run back to their melancholic self safe zone, which has no, absolutely no risks, absolutely not trusting anyone. And I can only trust my head and I get to be extremely careful with the future. So the problem is that instead of balancing each other out while being in these types of relationships and celebrating or differences, what we end up doing is feeling like we lost a piece of who we are and running back to the most fundamental part of our biology and then trying to create another relationship from there. It's going to be very challenging, as many people know. Mm. That's sad. <laughs> I love you, Brian. <laughs> I love you too, you tired fellow. <laughs> Shut up, you active skeleton. Um, <laughs> Did you say tired pillow or tired fellow? Pillow. Pillow. Oh, okay. You tired fellow. Even me that I'm a tired pillow got that. <laughs> so that's level one. The, yes. The, is there anything more that you want to expound upon? And by the way, if you guys are interested in diving even more in depth on this, I do recommend finding the Falling in Love workshop, which is either being offered through MITT 
um, or somewhere else. We'll, we'll keep you updated on our, our or to RGP development soon. Yeah. RGP development is working on bringing on more workshops. Yes. So when uh, level ones fall apart, it's not that particularly messy, really, compared to like a level two breakup. Oh, level, right oh level twos are the worst. Right, right. Movies level one are written about level twos. Yes, yes. But like your ego doesn't get super involved in a like level one breakup in the same way. It's like, it sucks always. A breakup always sucks, but it's not like a, it's not one of those like life altering, crying in the streets for weeks kind of thing for the most part. I assume. That's, that's absolutely true. Like when level one people break up, usually what happens is that they they go back to their to the basics of how their life worked and what seemed to be functional and them relating to other people when you break up in a level two relationship the, your perception of yourself and your perception of other people and your perception of life has been like completely knocked out yeah that's just crazy that happens. it's crazy and you get so confused and the, and you can't even trust your mind and your ego and what you think you don't know how you got there you don't know if it was right if it was wrong if you made a mistake if this was a, the best thing you could do to survive, it is horrible because now you now you're destroying the connection. Like biologically, if the if the person was someone from your opposite biotype, from your opposite genetical structure, but also destroying your ego and all of the perceptions from your ego, because everything that felt like a rule fell apart. Everything that felt like you had to hold on to this because this is reality completely falls apart. And in order to understand this, I feel like we need to explain a little bit of how level two or stage two relationships usually work. Go for I it. I like Matt. stage better than level. Let's go into stage. I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean, just like as a term, because yeah, it's possible stage. to I move like from stage two to stage three. Yes, it's impossible to go from stage two to stage three. It is possible to go from stage yes. two to stage three. Yes, it's yeah. possible to go from any stage to like to the one above. Rarely to the one underneath. But is there the a one secret stage you four you haven't told us about yet? When I get there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Stage four <laughs> is uh, those billionaire masked sex parties from Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> oh, I jump right to stage four. Is yeah. that bad? <laughs> All right. So tell us more about stage two. Yeah, Ross, tell us more about stage two. Stage two. This is the one that always frustrates me the most. It breaks my heart when I see it in person because I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, you guys are a hurricane and like are just hurting each other. Um, but for whatever reason, you're sticking together and you're like, well, we're working on it. Or like, oh, like I, we're really growing together. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just in like a lull, but it's, it's the most tumultuous relationship. And what we call it is a trauma-based relationship. This is my favorite to explain because when people think about trauma-based, it's not like, oh, like they're going to, they're abusive or whatever, but usually it's because through your life, we've all experienced trauma, be it huge, be it small, whatever it is. And trauma has created some sort of belief in ourselves about how partners are supposed to look, act, feel, treat us, treat other people, et cetera, et cetera. And it's usually based on uh, our, our, our perception of relationships growing up, be it our parents or be it things that we've, we've seen or been impacted by. Now, this involves something called egoic harmony, which I love that phrase, but Let's mm -hmm. say you um, have a deep-seated belief that you are a, a lying piece of shit. Uh, actually, maybe not even lying, but just like, let's say like you have very low self-esteem and you believe that you're worthless. Your, 
you're not going to have a partner who also believes that they're worthless necessary. It's not like your traumas are matching. However, if they were to treat you like garbage, your belief that you are garbage or deserve to be treated as such would create a form of egoic harmony is in like, this is how the world is. This is how it should feel. And therefore there's no desire to leave. In fact, there's actually an attractive draw to stay within it. That's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I wanted to add there. Because when we, when we explain this whole process that's called trauma compatibility, it's not about people having the same trauma, but triggering each other's trauma. The thing is, what becomes addictive about the relationship does not feel good. It just doesn't let us choose out of it. So I love the example that, that Roz was building. And, and I feel like it's like this. If growing up, I felt like I wasn't the most important person in my house. I, I was not what my parents wanted. They like my siblings more than they like me. Uh, I, I am not the golden piece in this family. They like to, to explain it somehow. I meet someone. At the beginning, we're still human and we're, we're still smart. So when I meet someone, of course, I want them to treat me good. But if I meet this girl and she's treating me well and I'm treating her amazingly and we're connecting, I like her but I'm not obsessed with her. But if suddenly she promised me that she promises me that she is going to call me Friday night because we're both like tired and she doesn't call me. And then I start looking her up and she's not home and she probably went out partying with someone else and she didn't tell me that's going to feel like shit. But if that lines up with my beliefs about either myself or women, my like fundamental beliefs about our relationships work, now I'm trapped. And I can't even see it because maybe we're like one week or a couple of weeks or a month with like into the relationship. But if this gets triggered, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to kind of lose it. But now I need to talk to her. And now I need to find her, even though this is probably almost a stranger in my life. Now I need to make this right because she just triggered my trauma. She just triggered the, the, the most fundamental pain that I'm carrying with me since childhood. So now I'm going to feel like I can fix this because the beginning was great, even though I wasn't so interested at the beginning. It was just normal. But now I feel like if she gets it, if she understands my trauma and if she understands how much I love her and if she understands how invested I'm in this relationship and if I teach her how to deal with me, this will finally be the relationship that I've always wanted. And that's what we call the fake egoic promise. My ego is promising me that there's something that I can fix in this relationship, even though it wasn't amazing before. But now I, I cannot get off the topic and this is the most important thing in my life. And if I changed her, she would finally give me what my parents didn't. She would finally treat me the way I wasn't treated growing up. That obsession is what makes me stay. That obsession means that my ego is already hooked. And even though it feels like shit, it gives my ego the opportunity to tell me that this is something that if I work on, it will finally give me what I never had as a kid. That's why we overstay because of that fake egoic promise. And we think that we're staying because of that egoic promise of if you change this, it will be fantastic. Instead of realizing that it's the obsession behind it and the fact that it triggered my beliefs and my ego that's going to make me stay for a decade. This is, I think, the hardest on fake fires. Yes. Like like fake fires and phlegmatics because feeling it through your whole body, first of all, these relationships have the highest highs and the lowest lows. They're passion relationships. They feel like, like 
what people describe and write books and movies about the swirling sea of like passion and flames, what people would often call this, like a, we have a soulmate connection. And especially when you're phlegmatic and you value relationships, you think, well, I just need to tough it out through this, or we can work on this together because it feels so magical. And why would anything feel so good and yet not be right for me? Do you know what I think is the best movie showing exactly how this feels? And they, I don't think they were trying to do it. The uh, one that Brian's then, writing right now. Pillow Skeleton. Maybe. Revenge of the Waterbed Boy. Oh my. The Revenge of the Waterbed Boy. Yeah, he's mad that there's a sanguine melancholic and his, uh, he's a phlegmatic and he lost one of them. It's a love triangle. What do you got? What are you going to say? I'm, I'm spouting nonsense. But your nonsense is great that now I don't know what I was talking about. You're, well, a movie that shows this well. And it, it didn't even intend to. And I feel like it fucked up the lives of the actors that went through it. Oh, really? Okay, go on. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> Wait, the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie one. So this yep. is big because that was the movie that he, ch- I, whatever, cheated her. I, I don't know the specifics. That's, but a, that's, he, he a, that's a movie Jennifer after. Aniston. Yes. And yes. went to Angelina Jolie. They got together with that movie. And it makes total sense because I just rewatched the movie recently and I was mind <laughs> And you're making fun of me for rereading Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I rewatched it because I was on a plane. Okay. But, but uh, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I just watched like the second part because the person sitting like in the row in front of me whose screen I could see was watching it. And I started watching from the middle of it where this person was watching is I was kind of watching the beginning. But when I saw it, not like Brian was like reading the whole book, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but what I'm trying to say is that what works between those two characters is their trauma compatibility. They're both extremely afraid of each other and thinking that this person could maybe if they fix them right, be the person that they need in their lives. And it was so true and it was so well built in the script that both actors ended up dating each other in probably a very passionate and explosive relationship. Brad yeah. says, so Brad and Jen were in a level one. Brad and Angelina were in a level two. I'm guessing Brad and Jen were also in a bit of a level two as well. Most people are in a level two today because that's how we, <clears throat> that's how we understand relationships today. Like the way we fall in love is based on that. The way, you know, when I think about my friends who are the most obsessed, like the ones who cannot stop thinking or talking about someone, especially if like they've like a breakups happen or if they don't know the person likes them and they just like, they're literally trying to find answers to what the fuck this person's behavior means. That's never <laughs> really a sign of a great, that is like level two. Never. For sure. What, I mean, I was gonna ask, what are some of the warning signs some people are probably listening being like, oh, fuck, what's, what do you think? Am I in a level two or a level one or a three relationship? What are some good signs to look in yourself to see if you're in a level two? Are there some things you can just sort of like take, you know, mental stock of your relationship to be like, uh-oh, that might be a level yes. two behavior. Yes, there's a really easy one that I use, especially because I'm a sanguine. I use this on myself a lot. But when I feel... Uh, beyond understanding sexual attraction towards someone that I shouldn't be that attracted to. Uh, when I feel like I need to be close to what when I've felt in the past, like I need to be close to someone, if not the world will end. And there's no logic to this attraction and there's nothing this person has done for me or, or there's nothing in the way they treat me that's special. 
then then that's the huge warning. Yeah. Like if you desire someone that has done nothing for you, you're you're running towards a level two relationship. Oh yeah, you see it all the time where people are like, I'm in love with this person. They're like, they treat you like shit. And you just <laughs> they met don't even six know you days exist. ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is so and because so someone asks, is this conscious or subconscious? And it's it's totally subconscious, unconscious. And it's amazing how you could you your subconscious picks up on these things, these ways of yep. beings that people emit. And it creates attraction. Like, the, the, Ro, you, you tell this story about how you used to be able to walk up to girls and be like, oh, you've, you know, got issues with dad, don't you? And they're like, how did you know? And you're like, because I'm wildly attracted to you. I would literally walk up to them at, at bars and put my arm around them, a complete stranger, and just tell them, you have a love-hate relationship with men that started with your dad, and you go massively clear, crazy at the end of relationships, don't you? And it was so authentic and humble the way I was asking that they would literally look at me and, and go like, yes, how do you know? <laughs> Brenna says, I mean, that's a 50-50 shot. <laughs> Yeah. But Rodrigo was like, and it worked half the time. We're like, wait a minute. He, didn't, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> he just just playing these odds. Yeah. No, my thing, my thing was always um uh like f- finding women that just had terrible trust issues. And yeah. then like sh- yeah, trying to prove to them that men are safe. That was that was my thing. That tracks. This yeah, is interesting question. It's level two relationship, two-way street. Yes, 100%, because the only way it if it's, really works. If it works, like they, they, if they're exactly. into you too. Yeah, if they're into you. Sometimes exactly. you have a level two attraction to someone and they don't see you at all. I, that happened to me. I was like, this one girl, I remember I was in my early 20s. I was so attracted to her. And I remember I was like, oh my God, like I, I felt like this calling, this is why I'm saying it's really hard on phlegmatics. I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. And she's like, I have zero interest in you whatsoever. But Listen, she was, Rob, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like you. But she was a total lure like she liked the attention but didn't want anything with me if she wanted something with me we would have had an explosive terrible relationship but she didn't so it never went anywhere but it was level two for me it just wasn't for her that's one of the most painful things to experience we need to open that topic up because one of the most painful things to experience is when you have a perfect level two compatibility or stage two compatibility with someone else and and you don't have it for them Because then what what you're doing, it feels like rejection and what you're going, like the elements that you have to understand why this person is rejecting you is I'm not good enough. They didn't like me. I'm not fit enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not pretty enough. Like all these things that have nothing to do with it. And I remember the first time in my life that I met this girl, I won't say her name because I haven't seen her in decades, but I met this girl and she really wanted to date me but she was not attracted to me. And I was ridiculously attracted to her. Like she had everything that my ego needs to be in a stage two relationship. She triggered my rejection. She triggered my, my, my not feeling good enough and like proving myself constantly. And I loved it and I was obsessed with it. Even though she never did anything special for me or in fact, she, she was very weird towards me, but she kept looking for me and wanting to go out with me. But every time we did, she, I would see the disappointment in her face going like, this guy is such a good idea, but I just don't feel it for him. I You're describing the friend zone. This is, this is no, like- because it wasn't, it wasn't a friend zone. Like she would call me in a romantic way and she would text me in a romantic way and she would send me pictures and things like that. For and the rest of us out. that don't have your like charisma and attractiveness level, that, that winds up being a friend zone relationship. Like a girl would be like, 
oh, why can't there just be more guys like you? And it's like, fuck you. I'm, I'm the guy like me. But like, yeah, but I'm just, I'm not attracted to you. I don't want to date you. You're more friends. Has some, Ross has some uh, trauma about trauma, trauma relationships. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. I thought it so, was the so, only one noticing. This, this, <laughs> this happens more to friends of mine that complain about it to me. So I'm carrying a little bit of their chip on my shoulder because I get really frustrated and go cut them out. Like those types of girls, like don't stick around in there or you have to be very clear with your intentions and also be strong enough to walk away if that's not the, the relationship with them that you want. And I know a lot of women go into these things of like, oh, well, and some of them that I know will say, no, 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 he doesn't like me in that way. We're just friends. And I'm like, you're blind. Like this guy is in love with you. Stop pretending like he's, he doesn't want something more. So yeah. I, I feel like a little bit of what you're describing is at least the friend zone. Those people are the, the I mean, I'll call it the guys in this situation, but I'm sure it could be the other way around as well. Um, but the people that I talk to are mostly guys about this, but the, I want something more, I'll hang around, I'll prove myself, et cetera, et cetera. That partner or that person's ego actually craves the rejection, which keeps them interested. 90% yeah. of the time, if that person was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm interested in you. They'd be like, I don't want this anymore, you know, because it's the rejection that keeps them interested. That's, that's exactly what I started giving as an answer. When, when I became a YouTuber like a decade ago, and, and I started doing videos about these types of things in Spanish, um, one of the most typical questions that I got is you say that everything is possible. You say that we're creating every result in our lives. How do I make this person finally fall for me? I've been behind them for like 10 years. I've been their friend like for 10 years and they didn't like the answer. But when I finally made a video about the answer because of the amount of people asking the exact, the exact same question, I told them, you're fooling yourself. If you're telling yourself that what you want is this person to flip and finally love you, that's not what you want because you have people like that in your life that are amazing and hitting you all the time and you don't find them attractive. And the fact that you're still, after so many years, behind the same person that has rejected you so much means that this is exactly what you need for your ego to get obsessed with someone. And if they ever turned and decided that they want to be with you, you would stop finding them attractive. Uh, this is something that was so hard for me. And I'm, I'm hearkening now back to that level two relationship that was unrequited mm -hmm. because that was very painful for me. This was, this was in my early to, to mid twenties. And I was part of a men's group called the mankind project. I'll give them a little plug because I, I do think it's great men's group. And it was a lot of older men. Like a, a part of that is uh, uh, initiation into manhood. We don't really have any manhood initiations in our culture, in our society. Um, we really need them. And we really need them. For the most part, we have one male role model that's our father, if that, and they might be missing some pieces. And oftentimes they're missing the same pieces that we are. Um, but yeah. having a group of, of men that have been through life and here to pass on their wisdom down to younger men, that was one thing that they were really trying to drive home for me, for me to get, was to let go of that, the attachment to that girl and allow myself to go out and find a new woman who will appreciate me. And, and without feeling like you're cheating on someone who doesn't care about you. Oh my God, that was the biggest thing. Because so many of these <laughs> men know. just stay loyal to the yeah. girl that they want. Oh, I'm going to prove to her how loyal I am. You know, like that, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. There's even a Spanish story about that. I don't know if you guys have it, but there's there's a song and a poem and a story. I'm going to look it up to to share it with you. But about this guy that stays outside a palace because he's in love with a prince. 
and he stays for a hundred like nights and a hundred uh a hundred nights and rainy nights cold nights just sitting on a chair outside the palace to prove his worth and his love for the lady and then a night 101 uh, the lady comes out, the princess comes out and goes like, you deserve me. And the guy stands up and leaves. And, <laughs> and she goes like, what, what the hell is happening? Like, I, I thought that you were proving your loyalty to me. And the guy turns back, looks at her and, and says, no one that thinks that I deserve to stay for a hundred nights out here to prove my love deserves my love and leaves. Uh, we have a guy named Groucho Marx who says, I'll never be part of a club that would have me as a member. So that's our version of that story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the thing that's interesting about level two attraction to me that's so annoying, and it's so funny because you guys have seen this in my life. You've actually experienced watching me do it, but I can't be the version of me that I am. Like you I just change. It, it's yeah. cr- and it's weird because I'll be like, I'll be not with a person and I'll be like, I'm going to see them today and I'll be just as cool and calm and whatever as I always am. And then when I'm, I'll like literally tell myself there's no reason to not. And then I'll be there and you'll watch. I can't, it's crazy. Like I literally can't act in the normal way. And then once they're gone, I can like fall back into my normal self. And I'm so like, obviously we all know that when you have like a crush or something, you like lose confidence and become a bit like strange. But like I, I consciously try to like not be that, and I can't. It's nuts. Like I, I hate it. I, I become like the so wrong version of myself. It's also one of the reasons why, like, when you're in a relationship, all of a sudden people that would have never paid attention to you romantically are suddenly like, oh, like look at Brian or something like that. Oh, and it, that's the, a really interesting angle. The energy shifts. Yeah, like the, I, the, I never yeah. thought of it that way, but it makes total sense because you're shifting for someone else and then everyone else is experiencing your beingness, like something shifted that might make you attractive for someone else. Mm-hmm. Say it again. So if you say, say when you're attracted again. to someone and you change your beingness for being with that person because you get nervous, because you want to be excellent, because you want to be seen as loyal and yes. trustworthy and things like that. Other people will pick up on that too. And, and suddenly people that know you forever uh, are experiencing a new side of you and fall for you. And you go like, no, it wasn't for you. <laughs> no, that's not for you. I mean, Brenna, here's, she just said the amount of messages I got from exes slash new guys after I started dating my fiance was insane. Like they could smell the competition slash rejection. <laughs> there's there's another interesting like really interesting thing that i've gone through because of that when when i went with danny my wife to to the united arab emirates to dubai and abu dhabi and all that uh we got we got wedding bands because you're not supposed to be able to like walk down the street with someone who's not your wife you're not supposed to stay in the same like hotel with someone who's not your wife according to their culture so we same were rules really in Shmigadun, by the way in what don't worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, no, I won't even open it up. But anyways, like we're talking about a country where a Canadian girl that decided to go out, like we were on a cruise and she decided to go like outside the, the ship and into town wearing like hot pants and a tank top. Yeah, that girl's probably still in jail. They, they, they put her in jail for prostitution and she was in my ship. What? And the police officers literally said, no one goes out on the street dressed like that if you're not soliciting something sexual. That's okay. bonkers. So what, what, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? This was in Dubai. But, but what I wanted to say is this. We were wearing wedding bands all oh. through the trip. And the way women treated me was completely different from anything I had experienced before because just wearing the ring, this is my theory. Uh, 
wearing the ring made people think two types of things, uh, especially women, like two types of things. First, uh, if I don't want anything serious with this guy, this guy has a lot to lose uh, because he's married and he's in a relationship. So he won't screw my life or try and chase me. And then the second thing is, and I believe this one is the subconscious one. I feel like what I triggered is, is something that married men triggered, which is this guy already got married. So this is a committed human being. And the guys that I date never want to commit. This one has evidence that he commits. So if I got someone like this one, this one would commit with me. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, it's just like even to put it even a little bit more basic is like, oh, this guy's been chosen. He must be good. Exactly. Exactly. Like I've never been hit on in front of someone I'm dating so much as that trip. And I talked about it with Danny many times and she was like, it was so uncomfortable and I've never experienced anything like that either. Like this girl trying to try to have a dance off with her, like to see who was going to keep me. (laughs) Who won? I, I have no idea. I, I didn't stay to watch, but like, because I was sitting down watching and I was like, I need, I need to defuse this whole situation. So I just went to the bar, but then Danny came up with me and she was like, I think that girl thought that if she danced better than me, she would keep you. Rose like, you know what girls, it's a tie. I guess, uh, I guess we both, all of us need to, it's the rules, I don't know. So, yeah, so I'm a sanguine, only skeletons can do that. Back to, to, to phase two relationships. Now I think we've, we've fully expounded upon the attraction and the tumultuousness that can take place. High highs, low lows. The, the big problem is when you find someone whose trauma compatibility is perfect from your side to their side too, welcome to two people with a ridiculous and completely unfounded level of certainty that they just met the one. Mm-hmm. with all the intensity that that entitles, like with all the passion that that entitles and also with all yeah. the pain that that can create because you're putting your heart in a balloon and hoping for the best. And that's the ones that break up and get back together and break up. And here's the interesting thing. You could be so sure about the breakup, go yep. through the breakup, and then the circumstances change, which brings out the different sides of yourself that you yep. initially fell you know, attraction to, and then you guys reconnect or one reaches out to the other and says, I'm changed. I'm different. I feel different. And in the moment that's authentic. However, the combination of the two partners together is what brings out the circumstances, the personalities, the ways of being that created the breakup and the circumstances for the breakup in the first place. Exactly. And the big problem, sorry for interrupting, but the the big problem with that is that, yeah, I changed because I wasn't with you. And if I choose to be with you again, you will trigger the exact same things in my pain and you will trigger the exact same things in my ego. And I will become the exact same person that broke up with you or that you broke up with. So let's talk about how you know it's time to break up and how to do it and how to recover from it, as well as we'll be expounding a little bit into level three or phase three. And if you want to hear that, go over to patreon.com slash RGP development where you can listen to full episodes of this podcast and even join our recordings live and chat alongside with us. Uh, Again, that's patreon.com slash RGP development, and we'll see you over there. We love you guys. Want more of Biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash RGP development. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it. And we'll see you next time.